Hello, is anybody here? You don't have to be afraid. I'm just here to talk with you. I am a seasoned paranormal investigator with a growing resume. I began investigating the paranormal when I was 16 years old, where I learned the tricks of the trade from a dear friend of mine. Since then, I've been a paranormal tour guide at the Ohio State Reformatory, have been on paranormal teams where I have investigated private homes, and have given presentations on real-life ghost busting. Now, I'm on a quest to explore all realms of the paranormal through expert interviews. I'm Sydney Miller, and this is Not Afraid. We would like to thank tonight's uh, sponsors, the Midnight Truck Stop podcast with host Big T and Blue Knight. New episodes are premiering every Sunday evening at 10 p.m. Pacific time. Join them on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok at the Midnight Truck Stop. Stop by their website and check out their merchandise coming soon. www.themidnighttruckstop.com. Many great stories of UFO sightings, Bigfoot encounters, the paranormal, and many other cryptid stories. Tonight we sit down with the voodoo priestess Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary is an 11th generation Creole whose family came to New Orleans in 1718. She is voodoo queen in New Orleans voodoo tradition, Mambao, Agwe, and Haitian voodoo, and Yaya and Palo. She is also Mamisi, a river priestess, hoodoo teacher, and swamp witch. As a true mystic, she combines her abilities as shaman, Mambao, queen, Yaya, and spiritism psychic into all aspects of her life. Those of you that are not familiar with Bloody Mary, she's been featured on the on Paranormal Lockdown, BuzzFeed, Unsolved Haunted History, Ghost Adventures, and many more. Welcome to I'm Not Afraid of the Afterlife, New Orleans Voodoo. So Bloody Mary, thank you for agreeing to sit down with us tonight. Welcome to Not Afraid. <laughs> so, um, I'm familiar with Mary I, the former Queen of England, who was nicknamed Bloody Mary because of her persecution of Protestant heretics. But I'm curious, why do you go by Bloody Mary? Where did that name come from? Well, my name is Mary. Um, I do mirror magic in my own way and scrying and everything that the mirror is known for. Um, I do talk about blood mysteries and things, whether it's from vampires to sacrifice, to just the knowledge of the female blood, which all of you don't know because you didn't have to research it as much as me, that that's what Bloody Mary is. Cycle. It's not a person. It's not a ghost in the mirror. It never was. It's an archetype. And it's what adolescent girls do in the bathroom at night at slumber parties when they're waiting to see the next stage of their life. So back in the day, some people would look in the mirror to see who their future husband was. Sometimes you'd look in the mirror to see who you would be at the next stage, like, you know, the older lady, you, the crone. It was also to look in and see who you were in your past life. And then as time evolved and horror films changed and all of a sudden it went from spooky to slasher and cut and slash, Bloody Mary became this. <laughs> <laughs> so some people say she might be named after Bloody Mary, uh, the queen, who I have a lateral bloodline connection to. 
So that's another reason uh, through Robert the Bruce and that aspect of my heritage. So, you know, some people, oh, it's her. Oh, it's Mary Worth, which is a really bad, cheesy 70s horror film that people today think was a real person in Ghost. No, cheesy horror film. Um, people used to also, when I did my research, some people used to think Bloody Mary was the Virgin Mary with a creepy veil. You know, so over the years, Mary, Bloody Mary has changed, but the idea has always been at a slumber party when the girls were giddy and young and right at that stage of beginning their womanhood, they would do this little mirror scrying aspect. So it was a rite of passage more than just a game. And it wasn't about the slash. It, it started to be in the slasher stuff the same time slasher movies came out. You know, that's scared of it and this and that. So she's evolved as our fear of getting older evolves in the universe. You know, you look in the mirror and now you're seeing scarier things, you know. So that's my spiel on that, because I have hundreds, thousands, unfortunately, of little girls, little annoying girls in the middle of the night who call me and beg me not to kill them. Bloody Mary, please don't come. Or please come to my party. You know, I, I, waking me up in the middle of the night. Like, I am going to kill you. <laughs> I wouldn't normally, but let me sleep. So, yes. <laughs> you know, thousands of little girls of and lately little boys, you know, who call me. <laughs> so if I go stand in front of the mirror and circle Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, will you come see me? Maybe. Uh, no, circling isn't part of it. It's a mirror and calling a name, staring into the candle. So it's candle scrying. It's mirror magic, which has always been that portal, right? People yes. are afraid of it in ghost hunting or superstitions, if you will. But, you know, everybody always freaks out. I got so many mirrors at the museum and a couple of them are cracked. I'm like, well, why is that? And I was like, well, because, you know, the fear of a cracked mirror and bad luck came from the fear that it as a portal when cracked would let spirits through. Well, hell, I'm a haunted museum. Let them come through. You know, I, I want them to come through. So if somebody's going to throw away a really kick-ass mirror because it's cracked, I'm going to grab it <laughs> and I'm going to put it in there. So you know how they cover the mirrors and stop the clocks when someone died because they were afraid that the spirits would get trapped in there and they would, you know, wreak havoc or haunt. I mean, mirrors have always held a certain magic. So my name being Mary, the bloodline being there, doing what I do. I've had a ghost tour company for like 30 years and a haunted museum here and there and a ghost photo gallery. It just was something that stuck or was meant to be and it became my pen name for my books and my mm. name for my TV shows and my priestess name. So, so there. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. That is really awesome. <laughs> so now, when did you- And I don't drink Bloody Mary. <laughs> that's a good question that's very another important that i don't drink blood okay that's another good point except for like <laughs> yeah a little bit a yeah. little bit you know <laughs> so um when did you begin practicing voodoo voodoo um well i guess it depends on what you look at it starting to practice and actually seriously practicing people will now they'll start saying oh it's my whole life you know 
It was the moment I read about it. Well, that's not necessarily when you first start practicing something. You've read a lot of ghost books long before you were paranormal investigators, right? So um, there was a matter, a, a portion of folk magic component of voodoo that grows along with the city and with the customs. So many of the things that we saw here, did here, customs, habits that your grandparents and great grandparents may have handed down to you had their roots in voodoo, though they may not have looked at it that way. A lot of people just go, oh, that's what we do, or just New Orleans and things. Most people don't even understand the nuances of New Orleans voodoo, know the, don't know the difference between Haitian voodoo, New Orleans voodoo. Uh, there were only a few areas where voodoo actually landed and created a its own like um, religion. The folk magic component, the hoodoo or the conjure, that's almost everywhere. You know, because people would practice a little bit of the folk magic component. But here, you know, because we were a Latin Catholic area, because where we are geographically, um, it came here early with the slave trade. And because the Catholics had more freedoms for the slaves, it was out in the public. Everybody dabbled in an aspect of it. And it was kind of multicultural. And it grew along side by side with the colony. So it's ingrained in customs, in foods, in music, in in the very essence of jazz and blues, you know? So in that way, I'm practicing my whole life. As far as the spirits are concerned, spirits have come to me since I was a kid. And I've all, by the time I was 12, 11 or 12, I guess, I, things, I start seeing things evolve. It's like that same time you go to the mirror and call on Bloody Mary, it could be my fault. Uh, you know, like things are evolving as you're turning into an adolescent, right? Things are changing in your body and your spirit. So let's say the spirits weren't as uh, pleasant. Uh, they weren't mean, but you know, things were changing. I had to do more research. So I started researching voodoo more than I start talking to people. I'm always, why, why, why? <clears throat> so I question people. <laughs> so in that way, I would get advice on how to handle this, how to do that. So started little bit by little then. So it was always very spiritual, though I didn't put out my placard to say voodoo because I'm like a spiritualist at heart. But I did voodoo and hoodoo probably since the time I was around a teen. There was a couple of witchcraft shops here. Uh, there was uh, voodoo dolls all over the place. There was things I'd find in the graveyards, like, hmm, what is this? Uh, and ghosts in general that I would research. And I found that what made sense on the explanation was sometimes more found in voodoo than anything else. So I kept meeting elders and people and you know, slowly but surely researching, because I'm a researchaholic, all this and, and trying to understand the roots. So almost, you know, since I was a teen, but officially, I guess when I started saying it more, would probably be about 35 years ago. Oh, okay. So um, I wasn't sure if it was like handed down through generation, like where your, your family or it's just something no, you- my mother was a nun before she married my dad. Though oh. my great-great-grandmother seemed to do a form of uh, what they call plantation magic at the time, or even New Orleans Catholic, because it was a little bit of each. And we had family, um, people that would uh, have to do with seances and readings and psychic aspects as well as some of the folk components. As far as being a, you know, a voodoo queen like me and an actual priestess where I, you know, do the rituals and marry you and baptize you and cleanse you, you know, there wasn't that in the family that was handed down. My sister also practices voodoo. So it would have, my grandma made voodoo dolls. My mother did not. My great grandmother, I don't know that much about her. I knew about the great, great. She lived across the street from Marie Laveau. 
So she, my grandmother was born there. So my great grandmother, my grandmother, and my great great grandmother lived in a cottage, uh, a building on St. Anne right across the street from Marie Laveau. At that point, would have been her last remaining daughter, Philomene, Marie Philomene Glapion Laveau. Um, they would have known that, but the great great might have known actual the mom too. Wow. So everything here was very integrated, especially before, you know, before the turn of the 20th century. That's what people don't understand. To look at things with presentism of now is not what was going on in New Orleans. We had a lot of mixed blood liaisons. Uh, women, black and white, were together quite frequently, even in the rituals and such. So all of this did blend to most people, especially the women. What people don't realize, because most people don't bother to research the difference between New Orleans voodoo and other things, is that it was the most matriarchal area out of all areas where voodoo landed. Second in second in line would be Brazil. Uh, that the queen, the mamaloy, the priestess was more of the spiritual leader. I believe that it's here also because of the timing that was perfectly combined with the women's movement, with the spiritualist movement and everything that was going on here at the time. So it was very matriarchal, which means it did develop differently with that aspect, you know, of a more female motherly, you know, aspect to it. It also grew side by side with the colony as opposed to, let's say, Haitian voodoo, where it grew through revolution. You know, like it emerged more through revolution. It was hidden before that and then came out after. This was the other way around. It was out, 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 and maybe went a little bit underground, let's say, around the 1930s, 40s, and back up again on the 60s and 70s. So it's a, a different way of developing. But some of the main tribes that, let's say, went to Haiti, went to other areas, came from the same areas of Africa directly here, not with a little stop off. And then we had a lot of... Um, we had a lot of influence uh, from Cuba as well, because we were under the Cuban archdiocese, because we are the gateway to the Caribbean here and where we are geographically, and we're a displaced European colony. And so we have a Latin Catholic influence, French, then Spain, then France again, and then America, right? So we have all those different tribes of African slaves went mainly to different areas. That's how it was set up and basically would develop according to the needs of the place where it landed. New Orleans had a little more freedom. New Orleans was a Catholic area. Catholics had more freedoms for the slaves. Slavery is always oppression, but it was not the same everywhere. For instance, we had this, the richest, and the most educated free people of color class in the country in New Orleans. It was a mercantile class that owned property and businesses like Marie Laveau and her, her father. And her, she was married to a white man. So there was a lot of mixed blood things going on here. So, and it was the same with everything. You mixed your musics, you added the European sounds with the African beats with the Native American Indian. You mixed your magics. You had a little European folk magic in there. You had a little Native American Indian shamanism in there. You had the African shamanism in there. And you used what worked. This was a tough area. Uh, highest mortality rate in North America, death everywhere that you turned. You had to depend on each other, even if you didn't agree. So you have a mixture of all those things blending in, which became more modern hoodoo. And then voodoo was the spirits that is the danced religion. It's a dance religion and a musical religion. Seance, like you're calling in the spirits to dance with you, to speak to them direct. So I know I just gave you way too much information, too, but there will be a test on this later. So it will be, oh, okay. you will learn it no matter what. I'm taking what. notes and I forgot to yes. get my notepad out. 
<laughs> well, you got it on. You've recorded this, so you're okay. Yes. So yeah, very New Orleans voodoo is very unique. I've devoted the last you know thirty plus years on intense study with it. Besides what I just gathered from talking to a lot of old people, my family's been here for three hundred years. Okay, so wow. like the same founding came at the very beginning at 1718. So, you know, you get some stories handed down, you get customs handed down. One of the things I find is people don't realize the source of their customs because I ask grandma one thing and grandpa another thing and you get three different answers, you know, so I had to keep finding why and ask more and more. And a lot of those answers are in voodoo and they're part of New Orleans. It grew together. Catholics weren't against dancing or music. That's why it grew more and landed more in Catholic areas because they didn't allow dancing or congregation in American areas. The Catholics had their own thing and it's a dance religion, a musical religion. So you'll have not only a music that grows, but dances that grow and a voodoo. So you got, you know, Haiti, Brazil, uh, Cuba, New Orleans, Africa are the main hubs of different styles of voodoo. Wow. <clears throat> didn't realize there were so many. <laughs> well, just like there's tons of different forms of Christianity. Yeah, I do. Agree. You know, and as one went, they schismed and then there's some secret societies. So, you know, I'm a voodoo queen in New Orleans voodoo, which was apprenticeship and handing down the reins from a previous queen with a baptism that I still do in the rivers on June 23rd. And then I'm Mambo Asagwe, which is the high level priestess that in Haitian voodoo. I'm also Yaya uh, Nakisi Milongo in, in Congo, in Palo, in Congo. And I'm a hoodoo priestess as well as I study and teach the art of Qigong, which is a Tibetan healing aspect. I'm a Mama Isi, a priestess of the river. And, you know, it's like getting different degrees. You continue your yep. research and you, you, you know, initiations and meeting the spirits and spirits urging you to continue your growth. Also, it's a way of reconstruct to try to go back and find the raw elements of the parts that came here in the times of Marie Laveau, where I'm a general Buddha queen priestess of, to bring them back alive. Something's haunted going on over there with the lights. I can't see what it is. Hello, spirits wanna come in? So this is my home voodoo temple with Allison, the center post in the center. The Rada spirit altars over there, the ancestral altar back there where the mirror is, and then some New Orleans and other stuff around the room wow. surrounding and the Congo there. So there's a little uh, quick 3D thing. <laughs> I think it's awesome. I know I saw the episode um, where you had what was it, Ghost Adventures to come in and investigate your home ghost adventures was here buzzfeed unsolved was a real popular one that people see my voodoo stuff on but i've i've been doing this longer than most people so i've been on these shows for a good 27 years before there were right ghost adventures and yeah. those types you know um so you'll see me and this house and its evolution mm -hmm. over a hundred uh, pushing a thousand different tv shows yeah so wow that's so when people come to New Orleans, they want to know about voodoo. They want to know about ghosts. Sure. You know, they want to know about music. They want to know about cemeteries. They want to know about voodoo. whatever it is. They'll want it when they come to town, they'll take a little piece of everything else to put it in the show. So I might just have a couple of pop on, you know, pop ups for that. But you'll see this house in me. And because everybody's intrigued about the mysticism of New Orleans and the ghost. I do what I call voodoo paranormal. 
It's a mixture of old school and new school. So I might open the gate ceremonial. I give offerings to the spirits. I sing because it's you sing your prayers and I might sing to them, give them different things. I'll also blend that in with some paranormal equipment as well. So I call it voodoo paranormal and it's a way to honor the spirits and not treat them like a bloody experiment. Yeah. You know, it's like if they like they, they they get liquor, they get shots. We don't, I don't give you shots, but I give them shots. They get cigars and they might get music played for them and they might dance, you know? So we try to soften it up and just try to teach communication between the worlds. And I'm always preaching Fear is a four-letter word. So yes, no fear. Fear is going to attract the wrong things that you want. You know, you want to be able to communicate and open communication between the worlds more clearly. That's, That's interesting. I've never heard of uh, people trying to combine voodoo and paranormal. I mean, it's related though, so I guess it makes sense, but that's an interesting... Uh, well, I've been, as I said, I've been doing this longer than most people. So, I mean, I started calling it voodoo paranormal a little over 20 three years ago, I guess, 22, 23 years ago. But that's what it is, because the older religions believe in communicating with the spirits. They have more methods down than paranormal investigators aren't priests. They act like they are sometimes, and they think they're crossing spirits and things, but they're not trained priests. Uh, so voodoo has a megaton of ways of protection, of bringing spirits back, of opening gates, closing gates, exorcisms, all of those types of things that you may or may not need in the process. So to mix, your, to mix the calling the spirits organically and personally uh, through the methods of voodoo supplemented by electronic devices for the people who only understand the modern version of it, you know, together that would be voodoo paranormal. Interesting. That's awesome. So can anybody practice New Orleans voodoo if I just decided that one You day know, that's the big, big debate in the world right now. Everybody's trying to, trying to freaking segregate everything out. When everybody fought forever not to segregate, all of a sudden now they want to say, oh, it's just this, it's just that, it's just that. Every type of voodoo has every type of person in it. Okay. I don't care what anyone says. You can look at each house. And even in the times of the mid-19th century in New Orleans, we have pictures, we have names, we have addresses, we have, you know, mixtures of rich women, poor women, prostitutes, you know, some men, children, all ages, all socioeconomic levels, all types of walks of life, even then. So in New Orleans, since we've always had that mixing going on, Obviously, New Orleans voodoo is very mixed. However, you know, my eight, was an 80 year old Haitian godfather in Haitian voodoo had no problem when he came here and initiated a bunch of uh, a few Hindu and a few, you know, white and a few Hispanic. I mean, he had no problem at all with mixing because spirit doesn't see in color. Of course, I'll jump on you and say, oh, that's a very, you know, white thing to say it's like no it's not it's a spiritual thing to say <laughs> you know just because you are one color or from one area doesn't mean that you're going to be an automatic so it means we're automatically voodoo no it doesn't in fact most of the people that i knew when i started doing this 30 years ago uh were in great denial that their culture would have anything to do with voodoo because they were told that it was evil and i've been taken up for the culture of not being evil that voodoo is just an earlier and older religion that is very 
you know, connected to the earth, caring about the earth and the community and, and the ancestors, you know, the ancestors are, are very important and we should all have more respect like that. Now that's theory. All religions are good in theory. All religions have people that are criminals in them. <laughs> you know, you try not to get near them, but it happens, right? I mean, you go take a survey of who's in jail right now and what religion you have. And it's not the number one is not going to be voodoo. <laughs> you know, it, it's definitely not even going to be on the list there. So, you know, it's humans have their own poor choices. Hollywood exploits the facts that, you know, voodoo was a downtrodden religion and makes it even more evil because the big guys always do that. You know, they want to put down the little guys. Then you had the racial implications and everything else. But no, I mean, all the houses that I'm a part of and all the independents that I work with are all various shades of colors. So yes, in a way, anyone could practice video. It is best to have a teacher be initiated and not read a damn book <laughs> or a spell or something on the internet and say, oh yeah, here I am, you know? try to actually participate in a few rituals, get a, you know, it's not a religion of reading a book, you know, in fact, sometimes the books can harm your understanding because you could be taught direct from the spirit. So everything is about dealing with spirits, either the exalted ancestors, the ghosts in that way, everything is how to call spirits, how to dance, how to make them happy, um, how to listen, to what the nature spirits have to say. So you can throw that into fairy realm if you want, you know, and listen to what the ancestors themselves have to say. They're there to help you, maybe trip you up if you need it. Uh, you know, they're there to guide us and we are to guide the future generations into existence too. So yes, I absolutely would go back to the old ways to ask and trust what those beliefs are with connecting with the spirit world more than, you know, like a modern new gizmo that's dependent on batteries. You're your best paranormal instrument, you. And you don't need batteries or you're not supposed to, you know. You personally don't need batteries. There's <laughs> <laughs> my dog. I have uh, two ghost dogs, two ghost cats, a ghost snake, as far as the animal kingdom is concerned in my house. And if you listen to, um, Nick on that ghost adventure show who just did a follow-up by the way in here last April you I will also have a ghost wild boar but I, I haven't run into the wild boar I've run into the dogs I got a lot of animals here after Katrina that found their way in so there's at least one guy here that wasn't here before and then my own dog who joined unfortunately recently and then my cat and my snake <laughs> I was surprised on the snake. I didn't expect the snake. Oh, wow. You know, but, but we've been doing ghost hunts in my house, uh, small VIP groups for, the, I don't know how long, 15, 20 years. Uh, they, they come here and, you know, different people have picked up on, we've seen like the snake in the, like the shape of a snake in little electromagnetic energy form around them. And the guy felt something, you know, tingling, tugging on his neck. And then he said, is there a Danny here? I'm like, I don't have a Danny. I'm like, oh, Donnie, that's my, that's my snake. Uh, so yeah, we have uh, animals and we have humans too. We have some humans. I also do a little bit of fun with the ones in between, some cryptids. So we got the Lupgaru and Arugaru, which is our werewolves out in the swamps or the, you know, by the bayous and a few other kind of cryptids, mermaid here, 
this over there. So yeah, we, we're full of all of that. What about your areas? Do you do a lot of uh, exploring in the nature or you just do it in house? Um, I actually started in cemeteries because I wasn't legally allowed to ghost hunt yet. Um, so when I was- Why? 16, There's no legal limit. There is a lot of uh, places won't let you investigate till you're 18. Yeah, but it's not legally. That's just yeah. what they said. Yeah, you know, right. like, no, but there's no law about it. Uh, <laughs> I've, uh, being that I was a young mother when I started doing this more full time and dragged my child with me, <laughs> I have always, always had children on my ghost hunts in the cemeteries, in the houses, absolutely everywhere I go. I do not dumb it down for them. And when they're little bitty, I call them ghost bait. <laughs> because just like people run to a baby in the mall and go, look how pretty. That's funny. So do the spirits. They love the young energy, the innocent energy. So you can just photograph around babies and you get a lot. So I think I was uh, good for not blocking the young people. I, I did go since at 12, 13, going into some abandoned buildings here and going out to the parks where the monsters were. I mean, I did them. Why not? But anyway, so yeah, it was not illegal. Yeah. It's, uh, some stuffy people. Super strict around here for some reason. But um, yeah, before I could go into those places, I did some cemeteries and, mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever. We would go on a car and sit outside a haunted building and, you know, surprisingly get some activity actually without ever mm -hmm. being, entering the doors and or stepping on the ground. So I've done some of that, but then mostly um, the different notoriously haunted buildings that were in right. there. Yeah. I mean, that's part of growing up. You go to the haunted buildings, right? At least sure. it was for me. And sure. my brother's friends drive me. Have whoever, I even had my dad drive me somewhere. I want to go to this road. Come on, we got to go to this road. You know? Yeah. So they, they, he'd take me, you know, which I guess it's pretty cool when you go back. And, and we didn't have a lot of, I had cameras. We had a few things, but, you know, yeah, it was always part of growing up. So I would never have blocked children from it, you know? However, I wouldn't let them come on their own. Right. You know, they'd have to be with some, an adult and, you know, and it's not always the children that are the most disruptive, especially in this town. <laughs> That's true. You know, like we yeah, beg, sure. we, we say left and right, don't come drunk, but it's really hard to have people understand that here. You know, <laughs> that drinking doesn't go with everything, especially ghost hunts. It could be a lot heavier on you, you know, if you're drunk, plus you're in the dark a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. You're asking for an accident. <laughs> uh, yeah. <clears throat> so now in episode four, we spoke with a Haitian voodoo. So what happened is people think that what that the slaves went to Haiti and then Haiti came here and then that brought that. And he's going with the assumption that it, it's more, you know, Congo from Cuba and other areas. It's a little bit of all of it, but the very first grouping of slaves that came here in the early 1700s were the same exact grouping that went to Haiti. Why? Because we were both Latin Catholic areas run by France and each different country had a different grouping of slaves that they got. You know, the Dutch got this, the Yoruba went more to Cuba, this went more to there. So we have listings and mainly more in New Orleans than Haiti or anywhere else of exactly who was on what boat, who came here, where they were sold and where they went. There's very, very specific, right. wow. you know, things so that we know. So it is the very same people because we were French, Haiti was French, you know, that went there, came here, but they came independently. And 
you know, it's like nature, nurture. Yes, they brought particular sets of spirits with them, their ancestors, but they may have ended up using this one more because that's what we needed here. Haiti and New Orleans are not the same place. You know, we, we didn't have it. They had way more slaves, way less slaves there per capita, but they had to get more aggressive to get their rights. It was just a different way of developing, but it all came from the same area of Africa. Later in history, after the end of the Spanish era, closer to the time of the Americanization, then some more Congo people came in, which still seemed to have a little bit of their influence um, more in Marie Laveau's day. In fact, it was rather surprising that he would even venture to say that much because I'm usually one of you that talks about any of the Congo influences in New Orleans voodoo. Uh, but what else did he say? I think he said you didn't have to be initiated. Well, that's not necessarily correct either. It's a different type of initiation. Just like in other parts of voodoo, you may not have to go through what we call the JVO. It's still an initiation. It's just not the same. So you have to go to several days to be this level and another time to be another level. And finally, you know, you get up to the, the Asagwe level and uh, you get the rattle and a variety of other things. In New Orleans voodoo, the truism is there's a baptism, usually on St. John's Eve, that starts you in immediately. And then there isn't a hierarchy like that except for the queen. And I was working under or with or on side, whatever, the previous queen. And when she died, it was arranged and then it kind of went over. So it's more of a baptism, blessing, and um, what do you call it? Apprenticeship, which mm -hmm. later goes to that. But there's not as many levels and it's not locked away as much as it is in Haiti. And it's different than the Congo scratching and initiation too, that that was a little part of it too. And there's a lot of secret stuff of how we do it. So it's not just a, you know, there's modern books of people, again, that aren't from here, people that aren't into voodoo and aren't from here, who write books on New Orleans voodoo and they get some of it right, but not all of it. And why should they? That's not their, I mean, I don't think that people that aren't in the religion should be writing about it, but hey, you know, sure. it's just well, because it confuses people. The basic principle of voodoo, whether it be Haitian or whether it be New Orleans, is pretty much the same. More or less, degree, I, guess. I guess. I mean, there's uh, basic practices. Well, I mean, there are some basic practices that in the new world, or it's funny when one of my teachers says new age, um, has a lot of uh, Catholicism mixed in. Oh, right. Okay. But that is not necessarily the way that it is in Africa or in areas that were Catholic. So there's a lot of substitutions that were made, like, oh, if I'm going to call on this spirit, you know, there'll be pictures of saints all over the place here. So there's some aspects that try to take the Catholicism or the Christianity out of it, trying to go back to more of its raw state. And there are some things that say it was never added in to water it down to begin with. I just thought it was kind of beautiful that they absorbed everything along the way, but I, they were, excuse me, forced Catholicized in many cases. But the principle is, like I said, is to venerate the ancestors, take care of the community so you know to serve the spirits to honor the dead you know all, all that so that those basic principles are pretty much the same hoodoo or conjure or in some areas called root work like in the carolinas they first of all the carolinas had to and georgia totally different again a totally different 
tribe. There was no united tribes in Africa. Each tribe had their own belief systems, you know, different tribe, more the Gullah and a few other people went to Florida, Georgia, Carolina. And then we had the Dahomey, the Fon, and this, and then later the Congo. So you had different tribes, which had different beliefs. None of them were unified religions. You know, they might not have even known each other unless they were at a border where they warred each other. You know, they didn't always know each other. So, yes, I mean, you serve the spirits. It's generally dancing involved, music involved, and things that you liked as a person. So you would feed the spirits. You would provide them with things that they liked in life. And if you get trance dance possession or however it comes to you, the spirit comes in and talks through you. You get a spiritual lift when they come in because it's they're using your vehicle known as the horse. That's why they say ride my horse. You're using the horse, which is me. So, you know, if I'm this spirit, I'm gonna like this hat. I'm gonna like this dress. I'm gonna like this whiskey. I'm gonna like this syrup. You have those things all about. So when the spirits come that they will be able to enjoy them. You might have a dress or a hat of a certain color that one spirit will put on more than other. You might have a chicken waiting there for him to eat and a couple of cigars and some matches so he could smoke a lot. You know, so basically the religion is serving the spirits. The practice, the hoodoo or the conjure, is you getting a new job and you getting that new car and you making sure your neighbor doesn't abuse your child. And, you know, different folk magic components that you're physically doing. Comparing that to most magics, you've got them saying high magic and low magic. That does not mean good or bad. High magic is ceremonial going to the corners, addressing, giving candles, you know, like your, your methods, get up, sit down, kneel, spin, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's high magic because it's ceremonial. Okay. Turn to the left, turn to the right, up and down, genuflect. Uh, the other is low magic, is folk magic. I'm going to go get some rosemary over there and I'm going to mix it in with, uh, you know, some rock I got over here and I'm going to use, you know, the hair of a dog, no pun intended, you know, over here to add it in. So I might use the magic of the animals. You know, I might carry my chicken feet to, you know, draw things closer to me. So I might use animal parts. I might use herbs. I might use stones, bones, different things. And we use the magnetic power of, of those things to change our lives. So that would be the folk magic component, stuff. So like witchcraft versus Wiccan. Wiccan is ceremonial, a modern religion, you know, trying to honor some of the goddess and aspects, but it's a ceremonial thing that you do. You open and you close and you go here and there and you're in a circle and you sing. And witchcraft, you don't have to be initiated you would pick up the herbs and you learn a few spells or things that you do. And there's great debate about that now, but historically, hoodoo is the folk magic. It doesn't belong to all Africa. It was a mixture of some Native American, some European, because there's uh, many oppressed people in the world and the oppressed seem to gather together. And in New Orleans, that seemed to be mainly women. So it had more women's mysteries than the other parts of the country and the honor of the ancestors the dead to speak to them to feed them uh to get information necromancy if you will but um and psychic abilities it mixed in with the spiritualist movements and Marie Laveau did voodoo seance and I do voodoo seance in spiritualism and spiritism type methods but back in her day 
there was the the medium sitting back with her back against the wall, waiting to be the oracle while people were dancing around and food was served. New Orleans always had that little extra in there than a lot of the other places. And you could drum and dance on the streets here. And we had open market with voodoo rituals at Congo Square. It was the first tourist spot in the South. People came here and overtly saw and heard that polyrhythmic beat of the drum, which kind of woke that spirit up. And people got in dancing with it. People still do things like that in New Orleans that they don't do at home. You know, it's something about the way that it worked here the rhythm of the spirit of place mixing in with the dancing and the drumming just worked. And we will forever be known as uh, the New World Voodoo Center, which makes a hell of a lot of people jealous, historically jealous from reasons in the past. And, you know, either they want to come here and tap in on that power and become famous, or they want to just put us down because they can't start that way to begin with. Just like we were always opening and embracing the spirits here. So before everybody got to be so known for their ghost stories, people would come here as one of the most haunted places because we embraced our stories and wrote them down since the 1700s. You know, it, it's always been something that people were aware of here and that put in a splash of this in the history books and a splash of that and, you know, listened and a lot of dead people, the highest mortality rate, a lot of cemeteries, you know, all that stuff. And a lot of good food and drink and spirits like all that too. We're a port town, we're a portal. And they just can't, and we're a water town. There's underground rivers, rivers all around us. We are all of those reasons. So we're haunted and we're very voodoo. <laughs> so um, when people have, some sort of thing going on in the home they might call in a ghost hunter or some people might call up and want to talk to a loved one or they want mm -hmm. to be with the other side and they'll call a psychic or a medium from a voodoo perspective how does that work do like people call you up and ask for favors is it something you just practice in private how does that work no 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 it's a i'm, I'm also a business you know i have a sure. haunted museum i have a shop a full metaphysical shop uh, i i have always had something somewhere in different phases. I used to have a haunted section behind the Voodoo Museum pre-Katrina, so, and did the tours where I would go to maybe an event and teach people how to do voodoo dolls, or I'd go to an event and do a readings, or we might do, bring my ghost photo gallery to a haunted restaurant, and I'd put together a party for people in a theme, or I do voodoo weddings and I've done voodoo weddings for over 20 years. So I do weddings, um, but I might have a, you know, seance we do for the wedding party, or I might have a reader that I sent, extra readers that I give to the parties so that they have something done there. Or people call me for advice to go see about what to do if there's hauntings in their houses. And sometimes I just tell them by phone because I don't have the time to go everywhere. So I could do a little astral travel over there and take a look, see what's going on. You know, it's hard to go to a lot of people's houses. You got to make sure they're not, you know, crazy. Right. <laughs> and of course they think we're crazy. So that's okay. I, I just mean, you got to make sure you're not like sending a couple of girls to a really bad neighborhood. You know, you got to be right. a little careful when you go to strangers' sure. houses. Right. So yeah. in, in a lot of cases, people come to me for advice and, we go over it, but sometimes I go over there as well. And I used to do a lot more traveling than I do now. 
you know, to different places. So yeah, people call me. I mean, I do seance to the public every week, readings every day, not just me, but I have a staff of readers. And I do some classes. I was doing Zoom classes for a while and one-on-one private custom things, which I believe in more of the old school apprenticeship, me and you, or me and one or two other people, not huge commercial groups. And I like to know the damn people I'm working with. Yeah. You know, I don't like just faceless groups that I teach everything because not everybody is at the same level and not everybody would be there. There is, there is, believe it or not, in many houses, a certain form of moral code that I believe that people should adhere to. A lot of people don't want to hear about moral codes. It's like, that's fine. You don't have to be in my group. <laughs> so I have more of a family tradition and I'm not judging you, but if I can't, have this kind of this going on here, you know, we want to be responsible for our co-workers in our group, you know, so you don't want necessarily, you know, drug addicts or, you know, sex addicts or whatever it is that could rub off or hurt the rest of the people, especially with a family tradition, you know, my son's been doing this since he's like two or three, you know, and it was like doing the dishes, you know, come on, I got to go do a ghost hunt, ma, you know, <laughs> like he grew up with it, right? Poor thing, still got to work for me, you know, but, you know, he has grown up with it and he's got a lifetime of experience, you know, now I got a little, little tiny grandchild that I'm initiating. <laughs> now I'll let him make his own choice. Yes. Make his own choice, of course. But yeah, so you have to, I, I believe you should take things seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants the deep, dark stuff. They want the heavy answers right away. And a lot of younger generations, they don't believe they have to go step by step by step by step. Each initiation that you earn, you know, different things are revealed to you directly from the spirits, as well as from your godfather, godmother, whatever you want to call your mentor. And there are things that I've waited 20, 30 years to get. And I learned a lot direct from spirits. I learned a lot. You know, so some people, they just want that all right away or they don't want to do it. Well, they're not going to be in for the long haul. So I'm not interested in, yeah. in doing that. And sorry if that hurt your feelings, but I worked really hard, you know, <laughs> and, and there's not going to be a complete spell on the internet for free, you know. You know, just like your grandma had something special that she put inside her cakes that she ain't going to tell you. Maybe when she's on her deathbed, you know, it's that kind of thing a lot of times, you know. So pay attention, trial and error, do the work, research, open up, initiate, but make sure you're serious about it because it's really not a game. And a lot of people do it just because they think they're going to be famous or the other. I mean, those were never my reasons. It happened. But that's not why I did it. You know, up here goes right. my cat. Well, I have a question. My haunted cat. <laughs> yes. Tell me, voodoo dolls, what what are they? Are you know, you see all these on TV, you sticking pins in them. You know, what exactly are voodoo dolls for? And they, they are they are for nothing until you use them. They are effigies. Mm-hmm effigies that are blank that you use to resemble empower Mm -hmm. create focus heal all kinds of things 
the pins in the TV is just one aspect because evil sells, you know, the number one reason people use dolls is love, you know, is love rituals, love spells, things like that. That's still the number one call, you know, money. We can use money doll. You can make it. I have uh, dolls that house your ancestors and dolls that can represent the man you're trying to pull your way. You know, the man of your dreams, a woman of your dreams, whatever it may be. So it's a, it could be a placeholder. It could be a holder for your spirit, for your ancestors. It could be a guardian spirit or a guard for a door, for a house. I've got one in my car just so I get good parking and I don't get tickets, you know. So you have, you can have specific ones. It's strategic, can't talk, strategic places for things or and I've been teaching people how to make voodoo dolls for 30 years all kinds of people all over the world um they are blank at first it's what you do with them then you have to feed them you have to nurture them you have to know how to wake them you have to name them you have to task them to take care of them and work with them so it'll grow you know like a baby it'll grow as you're working with it and you have to task it, breathe into it, pour liquors into it, keep it up high, add things, give it gifts if you're using it right. If you use sharps or pins, it's all about why you're using them. You know, it could be a pin in the head to affect thought. You know, uh, it could be in the heart to affect love. It could be the organ to push in an herb right where someone needs healing. It could be, um, you know, like acupuncture to release power and deity to sign deals between people. And yes, it could also be to hurt and inflict pain in area. I don't generally teach anyone to do that because what you do will come back to you. I think there's a longer, but more long lasting way to get what you want that isn't the short lived at trip someone else up or hurt them. I don't believe in that. And I dislike the fact that Manishap Hoodoo is going back to the let's steal things from other people in order to get what we should have got to begin with. You can get your stuff direct from the source. You don't need to hurt someone else or trip them up. However, you might want to catch a thief. You know, you might want to you might want to know how to do some dark stuff to bind a child molester. I have done that. You know, there are don't say you never want to do certain things until the situation comes to you. So you want to bind somebody, keep that hands off that child. You know, you want to catch a murderer who hurt your, you know, there are things that you might do and a doll could represent that person until you catch them. You could, you know, put that doll in a jail. You could bring that doll to a graveyard. You know, you're trying to catch a thief. So you don't know the person who did it. I mean, the murderer, you know, but you know who they killed and you know the incident and there's certain things you can build together in that doll to be the magnet to bring that person to justice. So there are 3,000 million ways to use a doll. It depends on you. Wooden effigies were more popular in Africa itself, but here they use the magic of the Spanish moss that the Native American Indians taught uh, the Africans where they had to be taught everything new of fauna and flora here when they got here. So I, I make the old tradition moss dolls which is like a nest of what you're trying to do. So I make all different kinds, but I was, I had many different trainers from old New Orleans way. And it's not just, you know, everybody thinks, so you make a doll, make it look like a voodoo doll. It's a voodoo doll. Absolutely not. There are some secrets, which I'm not telling you here, but there are some secrets that include from the very beginning when you're collecting the moss and feeding the trees and asking permission and opening the way, you know, there's some early parts and then there's some latter parts uh, and there's the decor and then how you use it after. So not everybody that just makes a doll can say it's officially a voodoo doll. And unfortunately about 80% of the ones in New Orleans and online are made in China. You know, they're not the voodoo dolls, but dolls are in every culture in the world. They only 
known to you as voodoo dolls because of Hollywood. Yeah. You know, but doll, people have used effigies for various means forever. And uh, so dolls are definitely part of that. I think right now, the number one fun thing in witchcraft or something is jars, you know, jar spells. They'll throw a bunch of stuff in jars uh-huh. and think, oh, yeah, there it is a jar. It's like, first of all, that's much bunk. But uh, you don't just throw stuff in and there you go. I mean, you got to blend, you got to talk, you got to wake, you got to nurture. Um, so older school would have been the voodoo doll. Older school might have been your grigri bag, which is a spirit pouch that you carry and the doll that's on your altar. And, you know, there's bottle spells and, you know, jar spells, puan or grigri as we call them. There's lots of different ways, but the doll is the old standby. And it's uh, even though there are people that do bad things with dolls, that's not generally what we teach. Everybody wants that whole bad boy thing and I'm going to hurt you with this. Dark stuff is easy to do. You know why? Because we get angry. Yeah. We get angry when we want something to focus and take it out on. That might do a temporary fix to the situation but it probably won't be giving you what you really need in the long run, you know, which is a right relationship and a, the rightful meaning job. And, you know, it, you, you want to just, sometimes people just desperately want to revenge slash justice. And in some cases it's needed. In some cases you just got to walk away and put your power into getting what you deserve and what you need instead of giving your power over to the other woman or the, person who got the job instead of you. So that's again, back to a moral factor that isn't really part of the teachings of the religion. The religion like to say that they're teaching you morals. They're just telling you what to do. I mean, that's something that's really inside you, you know? And I, I don't want people that just want to do bad spells for fun or because they can around me, you know? So I'm not going to be teaching that part because, but it's very easy to get really mad and throw all your anger in one little thing. That's the easy magic to heal on a bigger scale, transform you, the world around you, the city, the state, the country, whatever it is, that's the harder job. And that's when you should be a priestess, not the other time. Right. So when Sydney and I come to visit you and we get voodoo dolls, you'll teach us how to show us how to use yes, them? Yes, I have a voodoo doll bar at my place with starter dolls that we make. And then I have sides with herbs and bones and stones and things to decorate them up. Then we wake them, name them, task them, baptize them for you and uh, teach you what to do. Sounds good. I can't wait. <laughs> And, uh, you know, you can bring them on your ghost hunts. They can, you can bring, if you want to like focus a doll. I think I did that on one of the ghost adventure shows. The first one I did on Magnolia Plantation. I think I made a doll to be a temporary housing for one of the spirits at that uh, particular uh, plantation. So you can do that, you know, and then we disassemble it after to let it set it free. Huh. I can't wait. I want to learn so much from you. That sounds awesome. <laughs> and your museum looks awesome. It's small but quaint and it's very concentrated. I've got a beautiful, beautiful courtyard too in the back that we could do events, functions, parties, and classes and stuff. And then, you know, a nice store. And it's a 200 year old building. So it came with ghosts. Then I have my haunted collection there. <coughs> Excuse me. So there's modern ghosts and colonial ghosts and everything in between. And then, of course, I do full haunted city cemetery tours. And we come to my house. We go there, we go to the cemetery, we go to the park to deal with the oaks and the nature spirits, a little bit of everything. 
That's awesome. That all sounds right up our alley. It does. It does. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, and I have, you know, a lot of haunted dolls. I have um, an interesting collection of artifacts that belong to Voodoo Queen Marie Laveau, which I do use occasionally in ceremonies, but I have to, uh, collected pieces of power sites around the city, pieces of haunted buildings from around the city, even if it's just a brick or this and that, I have all those things there. Wow. That's going to be so awesome. <laughs> I can't wait to come. <laughs> oh yeah. Very impressive. Yes. Um, well, is there anything else you wanted to talk about tonight that we didn't ask you about? We left I it don't off. know. <laughs> um, talked about ghosts. I would get to hear. We, we got a couple of, uh, we got one of my books here, Hauntings, Horrors, and Dancing with the Dead. This is by Bloody Mary and Wiser Publication. I have some ebooks now. Awesome. They were some of my first books that are um, now they're ebooks. I used to print them myself, but they're like ghost photo and evidence books. Oh, awesome. Cool. So now I have it as an ebook. So you can get that online. And I'm Bloody Mary uh, New Orleans.com. <laughs> and you know you can shop i have a few things to sale on they have a little they have a little etsy store too and lots of tours and lots of different things that everyone is welcome to come to understand more and yeah you definitely have to do a ghost hunt with us mm-hmm. you know Absolutely. um can't think of anything it's mardi gras so i've got to go oh, deal yeah. with that yeah. it's mardi <laughs> gras <Enjoy> now <laughs> <laughs> we didn't really have it last year but we are gonna this year um, do you buy you have any questions? Just one. Well, I just one, one real okay. fast. You know, you were talking about teaching and learning. Do you teach online, or if it's someone that's interested in learning I, how to? I, I when well, I prefer, as I said, I prefer to meet you. You know, than online. But I had, you know, during COVID, I had done a series of classes which went quite well. I have a series of tapes of them now that I also sell. But I do more one-on-one classes, so they're private, which means they cost more, but mm-hmm. it's so I get to know you. Mm-hmm. It would be better if I got to physically meet you, but I understand that not everyone can travel, so yeah. I'm trying to do some more one-on-ones on this, but I do need to feel you, you know what I mean, and see where yes. you're from. I also do um, a tune-up for you, like a psychic tune-up, and see what you're carrying, which is helping you, which is blocking you, whether past lives are coming in to step up and ancestors. I do, I, it's kind of like a, like a tune-up, like a psychic tune-up healing, pull off things that you might be carrying or even little banishings and exorcisms that might be on you too. Wow. So I do all that and I can do that by phone and by Zoom too. Well, I would definitely be interested in talking to you a little later about some of the stuff that you do. And I'll just sure. uh, private message you and, and you know, give you a call. <laughs> Email is better, even though I have a pretty big TikTok now. By the way, it's Bloody Mary Nola. Nola is New Orleans, Louisiana. That is also, I think it's also my um, Instagram and one of my many Facebooks. But I put little snippets of things on there from voodoo to ghosts to cultural things going around New Orleans. So my TikTok has been my new little uh, focus for a while. So you can you can go there. So please go to Bloody Mary Nola. And um, you can also ask questions there. And I answer with a little video, um, okay. video response, because a lot of people have the same 
questions as you, so they want to hear the answers. Okay. And all that. What's your most haunted place where you live? Um, the Ohio State Reformatory, which I actually worked at for four years, and it's relatively well known if anybody's somewhat familiar with the uh, paranormal field. Did you get reformed while you were there? <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> no, no reforming for you. Oh. And what about you? Um, I'll tell you, Terry, the Myrtle Beach, I'm not so sure. The one place that I have been that's most haunted is St. Albans Sanatorium in um it's uh, been such a trend lately to always be in hospitals or jails. I know. It's like the last three, four years, I think, is all focused on that. That I know there was someone that told me a long time ago and other people have shared. It's like, people want to go in these wild, big places, but you get more activity when they're small because it's concentrated and you can find it easier. Because sometimes, you know, they don't want anything to do with you. Sure. <laughs> sometimes they want to hide, you know. <laughs> I personally like the smaller, less known places. Now, again, right. because of Myrtle Beach being the big tourist and you know, we, there are a few hit and miss, but mainly, you know, you have to go out further in South Carolina to be able to get, you know, I have been to a few cemeteries, but um, close by, yeah. that's the only one I can think of. I, I like the more, the less, un, the smaller and more unknown places to me. I, I well, just, there's less and less that are, unknown these days <laughs> because people find them rather quick and they're speaking out and i think we just need to learn to listen and like you say and like i've always said listen but not be afraid for fear is a four-letter word <laughs> that's right exactly so please come to new orleans i will be here show you around and i guess that's it we definitely will be there we'll let yeah. you know we're on our way and uh yeah. we can't thank yes, you please enough. let me know in advance because every week my schedule changes and i will definitely get to you perfect Sounds that. good. thank so you we can't thank, thank you, you guys on our show but thank you yeah let me know when it comes on and i'll put a link up and everything we perfect. sure will bye 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 ghost bye ghost let's see if i can figure out how to okay leave now <laughs> oh, no, I press leave and it said, thank you for tuning in don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite streaming service I'm Sydney Miller and this was Not Afraid